All right, we're gonna get we're gonna get started right away, uh, and and this is this is how I want to start. I just want to ask you a question as we get going. Do you ever say yes but not mean it? I mean, like, do do you do you ever say yes but really you mean no? Like you feel no even though you say yes. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, kind of what I figured. <laughs> So let's just say that I come to your house for dinner this week. You, uh, you invite me over, and so I come to your house, and it's really wonderful dinner, really enjoyable, and as I'm leaving, I grab a box of Kleenex from your living room and some hangers out of your closet and head out the door. Uh, would you, would that be strange to you? <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. If that's not strange to you, seek help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I mean, that, that would feel awkward, right? It'd be a, a bit socially strange, it'd be inappropriate, but I mean, would it be enough for you to say something, or would you just let it go? I mean, it is, after all, just a box of Kleenex and some hangers. Well, let's say you just, you just let it go. You don't worry about it, it's Kleenex, it's hangers, it's not a big deal. And you had a really good time, like, we, we had a lot of fun. So, you invite me back a couple weeks later. So I come back, we have another wonderful dinner, we chat, and this time, because I realize I was able to actually get for free what I would have had to pay for somewhere else, this time, as I'm getting ready to leave, I actually grab some pots and pans and a couple of your kitchen chairs. <laughs> and I set them at the front door, and I'm packing up, I'm getting ready to go, and you, you, this is a little more jarring, these things have a little bit more worth, and you say, Ray, I, those, those things actually aren't your things. Like, those are, those are my things. And uh, you actually get a pretty hostile response from me. And I say, well, what, what, what's the big deal? Like, you, you've got tons of pots and pans and chairs. You don't need these ones, too. I, I, I don't have any. Why wouldn't you share some of those with me? Don't you think that's a little selfish? I mean, I'm sure that Jesus would share his pots and pans and chairs with me if I went to his house. I mean, he's generous and he's self-sacrificing. He doesn't hold things back from the people he loves. Really? And so you're a little bit stunned that that was my reaction. And so you, uh, you, you just let me go. You're like, okay, I mean, some of that sounded right, but it felt wrong for sure. But whatever, you just, you just let me go. And uh, so then a little later in the week, I, I phone you. For sure I'm going to phone you. This relationship is working really, really well for me right now. But you've got call display, you look at your phone, and you see that it's me, and you screen your call. You don't take the call. And inside, when you see that it's me, you have this ugh feeling inside. And so you just don't answer. Then... A few days later, you're at Canadian Tire, and you see me there, and uh, you sort of duck behind an aisle because, again, you, you are now, this is an aversive relationship to you, but you want to see what I'm doing. So you kind of peek out from behind the aisle, and you see that I am buying patio furniture. Patio furniture. So you are now mad. This just rises up in you. You're annoyed, you're angry, and you think, surely a man that can buy patio furniture could have bought some Kleenex and some hangers and some pots and pans and chairs. Surely that would have taken priority. 
So you're, are, you're, you have this growl inside of you and you think, oh, that's not very Christian. I got to push that back down. And you're thinking, judge not lest ye be judged. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so you, you sort of rehearse these things in your mind. You squish all that back down and you go home. Well, I mean, I have not been able to get a hold of you by, via phone. You're just not returning my calls. And so I just come to your door and ding dong, here I am. You open the door and it's me. I say, hi, I haven't been able to get a hold of you. I've really missed you. Do you mind if I come in now? Do you have time? And you say, yeah, sure, yeah, come on in. And as I walk past you into the house, you see that I have a trailer behind my van. (laughs) And so you have this sickening feeling in the pit of your stomach. But we have a really lovely visit. And then as I'm getting ready to go, I start wandering through your house and taking your living room furniture and your dining room furniture. I go through your kitchen and I clear out your cupboards and your fridge. And in the process of it all, you start getting really irritated and flustered and you don't know what to do. And you try to maintain a degree of composure. And you say to me, Ray, I paid for those things with money that I earned. Those aren't your things to take. And I seem surprised, stunned hurt. And I respond with, well, wow, I, uh, I, I guess I could, I, yeah, I mean, I, I could put them back. I, I can put it all back. I, just that, like, I, I don't have any furniture at my place. I mean, I, I've been trying to save for some. I really have been, but I just really, I can't seem to get ahead. And, you know, like, my wife has been really sick and down lately, and she works so hard at her job. I just, Thought I might give her a lift, you know. My, my family, we all just, like, we sleep on the floor and we eat rice every day off of paper plates that we reuse. <laughs> and uh, I just thought it would be nice for my family to experience what it's like to have a few nice things, you know. And I thought that you, because you're my friend, that, that you would want that for me and that you'd be okay with that. But, I mean... If not, you're right. It is your stuff. I can bring it back in. It's, I'm sorry. I'll go. And you stop me. You say, no, no, it's... You have this, this verse again that pops up in your mind, and you remember Luke 3.11, which says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And you cringe on the inside that this, of all the verses in the Bible, is the one that comes to your mind right now. So you figure it must be listening prayer. And so you, uh, <laughs> so in your guilt, you just, you, you say, no, you, you know what, it, it's okay. You, you know, you're right. We've got lots. You've got nothing. And you help me load up the trailer with all your things. As I drive away from your house, you are feeling still very, very taken advantage of. And you know already that your spouse is going to wring your neck because you just gave away all your stuff and you're already upset with them in advance for what their reaction will be because they are clearly not as godly and self-sacrificing as you are. So here you find yourself. Your home is desolate and empty. You don't have tension with other important people within your life. And you're irritated with me for putting you between a rock and a hard place. Now, I'm guessing that... Most of you haven't had someone just show up at your house and try to take all your furniture. (laughs) But I'd be willing to guess 
that you probably have someone or multiple people or situations within your lives where you've got folks that somehow feel entitled to something that is yours. Maybe it's your time or your money or your affection, but in some way, they feel that you owe that to them. And maybe it's, maybe it's a family member, a family member that needs to talk or they need something, they're in crisis again. And you're used to hearing things from this family member like, you know, I'm just so glad that you're available. I know you're super busy, but thank you so much for making time for me. You're the only person that I can really rely on. Or maybe it's a spouse, a spouse that has a trump card that can pull that trump card out and say, you know what, after everything that we've been through, after all that I have done for you, surely you could do this one little thing. And you've heard this before, and you know that if you don't just do what has been requested, you will pay for it. Or maybe it's with your kids. Maybe with your kids, you have asked them a thousand times, and then you snap. And you don't, you don't like that feeling of being out of control, but sometimes it seems like yelling is just the only thing that will finally get through. Or maybe it's with parents or adult children or in-laws where you acquiesce to their request out of sheer obligation. You don't actually want to go to that fourth family gathering this Easter, or you don't want to go on the big family vacation that all the other siblings are going on with all of their kids, but you know that if you say no, if you don't go, then someone's feelings are going to be hurt, or they're going to be upset, or there's going to be negative talk about you behind your back. You just know. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe you hear someone suggest something in a meeting that you completely disagree with, but you don't speak up because you don't want to seem mean or you don't want to seem like a know-it-all or, in all honesty, you just want them to like you. So you don't say anything, but your silence is interpreted as approval, and so you get tasked as the one to now put forth and carry out this plan. And the whole time that you're doing it, you're doing it with this half-hearted attitude, griping and complaining, because you never wanted to do the dumb plan anyways. You were never supportive of it but you never said anything at the moment of decision-making. Probably there are some scenarios that are coming to your mind. But in each of these, what you do is you open the door and you let someone come into your house and take something that belongs to you. Might be some hangers, might be a pot, might be the couch. Either way, you feel that something is not quite right, at some level, you know that they're taking something that doesn't actually belong to you, but you just feel too guilty or mean or scared or awkward to say no. So instead, you feel your no. That doesn't change, but you say yes. The truth is, if you live perpetually with your door wide open so that people can take what they want when they want you will find yourself at some point overextended and resentful. It's a problem because Scripture instructs us in Proverbs 4.23 like this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, if in, in an effort to be loving and unselfish, we open up our heart to things we shouldn't, then we're not successfully guarding our hearts, and hence, we risk the trajectory of our very lives. 
These are issues with boundaries. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have put us together. Thank you that you have, you haven't just made us as standalone people out independent. You've actually put us in the context of community every single way we turn, with marriages, within families, within churches, workplaces, schools, everywhere, we're together. And so God, I, I thank you that you have given us practical wisdom with which to interact. And so I pray that as we go through this message that you would speak, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, you would help us to gain from your wisdom and to be able to implement things that will move us forward in healthy relationships so that we can actually get beyond those things and focus our efforts on the kingdom work that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what are boundaries? Well, boundaries are simply knowing where you begin and where you end, what you're responsible for and what you are not responsible for. In the same way that we've got property lines around our homes, and in the summer I know where to mow my lawn up to and where to stop, in the same way we have internal boundary lines within us that God has placed like that, where our responsibility ends at a certain place and someone, else, someone else's responsibility begins. And God has given us those responsibilities with things like money and time and abilities and attitudes. He's given us those things to steward and they're our responsibility. So therefore, boundary problems exist when we don't correctly identify where we end and where the next guy begins where we're unclear as to what really is our responsibility and what is the responsibility of the next guy. A boundary, a boundary violation occurs when we simply take too little ownership for our own property and or too much ownership for someone else's. So I want to give you an example. My daughter Violet is eight years old. She's in grade two. And uh, she, she came home one day and she was really sad. And so... I, I talked to her. I said, Violet, what, what's up? Well, you, you seem kind of down. She said, yeah, I'm having trouble with, with one of my friends at school. We'll call him Johnny. I said, okay, well, what's going on? She said, well, like, I really like playing with Johnny, but, but he's really rough sometimes, and I end up getting hurt. And I said, oh, well, I'm sorry, honey. Come here and give her a hug. I said, so have you, have you told Johnny that you get hurt sometimes? She said, well, no. I said, okay, well, have you, uh, have you told him, have you asked him to be more gentle? And she said, well, no. I said, okay, well, how come? Why haven't you done that? And she said, well, I, I don't want to hurt his feelings, and, and I don't want him to stop being my friend. And I said, that's valid. Those, those are valid fears. Those things could happen if you were honest with him about that. But you know what? Let's, let's sit down and let's, let's write something. So we sat down. We wrote up a little boundary speech together. And it went something to this effect. Johnny, I really, really like playing with you, but sometimes I get hurt because you're too rough. Could you please be gentler so that I can keep playing with you? Because if, if you keep not being gentle, then I'm going to have to find someone else to play with where I won't get hurt. And I really, really want to play with you. So we put that on paper. I told her, you know, 
when you go to have this conversation, you got to pull him aside at recess. Don't do it in front of a bunch of other kids or your friends. Just you, him, go. And so uh, then she went off to school the next day. I went off to work, came home at the end of the day, and I asked her how it went, and she was so excited. She said, oh, daddy went so good. He said that he was sorry and that he would try to be more gentle. And I was so proud. It's like, oh, you did. I actually said to her, Violet, you have done at eight what many, many people can't do at 40. <laughs> I said, good for you. But th- this, is, this is Boundaries 101. She took ownership for what was her property, right? Her body that was getting hurt, her feelings. That's, that's on her yard. She confronted her fears. She realized the things that she could lose if she did actually set a boundary. And she told him the behavior that was hurting her and communicated what she would do, uh, what she would need to do if that behavior didn't continue within a context of love. Now, once that boundary was in place, there was now freedom for both children to have lots of fun together without one of them feeling like they had to surrender a part of themselves to maintain the friendship. And this is the point of boundaries. That's it right there. Freedom to give of what is mine cheerfully and of my own volition and freedom for the other party to take responsibility for their behaviors and actions as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little elementary school situation and apply it into adult life. So what I want you to do is I want you to think of a relationship within your life where you feel your no, but you say yes. So this could be, uh, it could be in any sort of uh, setting where there's other people. This could be within home, could be with uh, a wife or with your husband or with kids, uh, could be within a school setting or a work setting, could be in church, anywhere there's people. All right? So think of what that situation is. And then before we get started, we have a pre-boundaries step that we need to acknowledge before we get too far down the road. So before we actually get into the boundaries, this is what you need to know. Just because you're upset with someone doesn't mean they've encroached on your boundaries. Every time you're upset, it's not always someone else's fault. Okay? It might actually mean that indeed you are an unloving spouse, an immature parent, a lazy employee, or an entitled child, whether you're 14 or 40. That could be the case. And so the first thing that you need to do before trying to solve a boundary problem is actually see if you have a boundary problem or if, or if actually you just have poor character that needs to be worked on or if there's sin issues, bad attitudes, stuff like that. I mean, this is the Matthew 7, 3 to 5 principle, right? Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we need to examine our own hearts. And then, once we're honest, We allow the Lord to reveal what's in our own hearts. And you may want to actually seek someone to give you feedback on uh, the way that you present. Because the reality is, sometimes we're quite poor with self-understanding, with self-revelation. We don't see ourselves like other people do because we're behind our eyes. So sometimes it's really good to actually get the feedback of someone who will be honest with you 
not just the nice guy who always tells you what you want to hear. You want to get with the person who actually doesn't think you're awesome all the time <laughs> and ask for their feedback in order to gain a balance of what you should be doing. All right? So once you've done that and you know, okay, I've dealt with that. I, I, I see that stuff within my own life. Now it's time to move into the boundary issue itself. And the first thing that you need to do when it comes to boundaries is you need to take ownership for the boundary issue. You can't change someone else. You need to take ownership for the boundary issue. Because God has distributed treasures to each one of us, treasures of time, of energy, of emotions, of money. And these resources, they're not never-ending. They're limited resources that we've been entrusted to steward wisely. And Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. See, if God gives you the resources to fill a proverbial house with boxes of Kleenex and hangers and pots and pans and yep da 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 then you just let other people come in and take those things, not because he asks you to, but because of fear or guilt or insecurity or whatever, then we're not actually being good stewards of what he's given. We're not allowing God to be the functional Lord of our resources, we're actually allowing fear or guilt or insecurity to be our functional Lord over our resources. That's actually who's calling the shots. It's not him. It's those sorts of attitudes. So, if that's where we're at, then we need to be responsible for that and acknowledge that that is that's on our yard. That's our business. We're responsible for what lies within those borders. If you are giving some of those limited resources with fear, guilt, or insecurity as your leader, you're not acting wisely. If you're giving those limited resources to someone who is squandering them and then cycling back for more, you're likely throwing your pearls before pigs. You are allowing them to squander the limited resources that God has given you. Do you see how this person's over here? God has given you the resources and you are giving them to this person to squander. That's bad math and not good stewardship. So you need to take responsibility for your own resources, what it is that the Lord has given you and entrusted you and asked you to steward. And then you also need to take ownership of your motivations. What's actually behind all of that? Because if you are giving to them out of fear or guilt or insecurity, you most certainly are not giving with a cheerful heart. Rather, you're giving out of obligation or compulsion, which is the opposite of what God commands us. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you don't say no to someone because they will retaliate in some kind of a way, you are never really giving them a wholehearted yes anyways, are you? Your giving is always tainted with compulsion, obligation, or duress. That's not how we're supposed to live. I mean, do you want to be someone else's obligation? Do you want to be the person on the other end of the phone 
when it gets hung up and they say, oh man, so-and-so called. I, I know we had plans, but I gotta, I really don't feel like it, but I guess I should go. Like, no, you, you don't want to be the person on the other end of that. So let's not do that to other people. There's no joyful giver in that situation. If you can't say no, then you can't really say yes. Not from here. So that's the first thing. You need to take ownership of the boundary issue. You are the problem. Ta-da! That's actually good news. It's good news that you are the problem. Those are, those are your resources. They're your motivations. And because it's your problem, that means it's on your yard. You can actually do something about it. If it was all the other guy in his yard, then you'd be powerless. Ah, but you're not. You actually have the power to do something about it because it's on your yard. So once you realize that the ball is actually in your court, you actually have to realize the reasons that you haven't taken any action yet. And dollars to donuts, it's fear. Violet had to confront her fear of potentially losing her friend. She also had to confront the fear that maybe he would be mean to her, call her names, or talk her down to other kids that they play with. She had to look at that. And that's fair. Those are realistic costs that she may have to pay for setting a boundary. But she also was already paying a cost for that relationship, wasn't she? She was getting hurt. So the question that I would have for you is, what is this relationship costing you right now? Because those other costs are yet unknown. There is a known cost to what you're paying right now in the relationship. What is it? Is it time, money, anger, fear, anxiety? Do you have strain in other, in other relationships? Is it giving you friction with your spouse? Well, let's look at what the most common fears are when it comes to setting a boundary. The first one is the fear of hurting others. We're worried that if we say no, we will somehow hurt the person. And it's good to think about other people. Obviously, I'm not saying, well, I'll just do whatever you want and everybody else can just forget it. No, we need to be considerate. Obviously, that's Christ-like. It's good to weigh our words and our actions. Boundaries, it's never about lashing out and just laying down the law. This, this drives me crazy because this is where there's so much wrong understanding of what a boundary is. You have someone that is just stretched thin and they've given in and given in and given in and given in and then finally, with all of their vigor, they finally say, no, that's it, you're out, get out, go away, I never want to see you again. <laughs> that's not a boundary, that's rage, that's different. Okay? Healthy boundaries are actually employed by, by prayer. You pray through stuff in deliberation, seeking wise counsel, weighing our words. But sometimes, if you still do all of those things, at the end of the day, the person on the receiving end of the boundary may still be hurt. Boundaries are almost always perceived by the one receiving them as rejection or as you being unloving, which is why the way that you communicate that is so important. It's got to be communicated in love. But a good question worth asking is, although it will hurt them, will it harm them? Because someone can be upset and not actually harmed. 
right? If someone gets really angry, they're really angry. That's, that's it, right? They're mad. And that emotion, that emotion belongs to them. That's actually on their yard. So stop trying to control their emotions. Take care of what is your responsibility and get off their yard. Don't tell them they can't be angry. Stop trying to control them from that. That's their business. They can be mad if they so choose. I used to be a huge people pleaser, massive people pleaser. In fact, God spoke to me one day and revealed to me that I was, in fact, a people fearer, that I was afraid of what other people would think of me. Uh, I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want to be hurt by people. I didn't want people, I, I wanted everyone to like me. Ultimately, God had to confront me on that and actually bring a lot of healing in my own life so that I looked to him for my confidence and my security. And, and I did, and I found that in him and then was able to get healing from constantly looking to other people to fill that within me. But before all that healing came, uh, this is when I was just responsible for the worship ministry. There would be people that would come. They'd want to get involved within the worship ministry. So we sit down. We have a meeting. We'd go. We'd sing or play together, whatever it was. And uh, then they'd get involved in the ministry. And, and everyone got involved in the ministry. There were, there, there were no no's at that time because I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no. So someone comes, they've got terrible character, they're living a, a terrible life. Yeah, sure, come, join us on the platform. It's all good. Yeah. You can't sing? No problem, join the choir. <laughs> really, really bad, right? And as God began to actually deal with me on my own stuff, I began to realize that it was my responsibility, it was on my yard to be honest with people That was my job as their pastor. They were coming to me as their pastor, and my role was to be honest with them. It was an audition. So as he began to deal with that in me, I would, uh, I remember a couple vocal uh, interviews where I sat down with people, talked, testimony was wonderful. People obviously loved Jesus and uh, were growing in their faith. We went, we stood by the piano, we started to sing, and I realized, oh dear, they can't sing. They can't follow the melody that I'm, that I'm carrying right now. And so I had to have a deep gulp, and I was honest. I said, you know, when, when we're up here on the platform, we're amplified. And so whatever it is we're doing, whatever we're singing or playing, uh, like we have to be together in it. And right now, it, it seems that you actually can't do that. Because I'm singing this, but you're actually singing something different. What you're singing isn't the same as what I'm singing. And so I love that you want to be involved in ministry, and I want to help you find a place in ministry. Worship ministry isn't it. But I'm committed to you, to helping you find what that spot is within the broader church, because there's a place for everyone to serve within church. And, and so I, I would. I would be very committed with them to actually see it through to the place where they got plugged in. And was that super fun for me? No. Was it scary? Yeah, for sure. Did it hurt some of them? Yeah, it did. It did. Because some of them had actually been in choirs for years and years and years and years, and no one had said anything to them. And to those previous choir directors, I say, thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, Be honest with your children, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> Save me the pain. <laughs> Zach does all that now anyways. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but to their credit, these folks, they, they took ownership of what was on their yard and they actually walked through the process and they got involved in other areas where they have been of great value and they serve in the church till, to today. They're of great value to us as a part of our family here. And as far as my responsibility, I realized that it was actually on my yard to be honest with them and I would rather them hear it from their pastor now than from their maker, the one that gave them certain gifts and not other gifts, later. I didn't want to have a part in that. So I had to take ownership of that. So did it hurt them? Yes. Did it harm them? No. It actually benefited them. So that first big big fear that holds us back from pursuing honesty and health in our relationships is that fear of hurting others. The other big fear that causes us to hold back from instituting healthy boundaries is a fear of losing the love or the relationship of the person we would have a boundary with. And I don't take this lightly. We're talking about marriages and we're talking about families, friends. These are valuable, significant relationships. So the question to throw out there in all of that is this. If you could lose the relationship over setting a realistic and fair boundary delivered in love, simply asking someone to take care of their own yard and allowing you to just take care of yours, was that really a relationship in the first place? Or was that person simply using you as an extension of their own desires? Let's say... Let's say you've got an adult child or uh, a relative that comes to borrow money from you for time to time. They come to you for a loan. And uh, this has happened before, and the loan actually really is more like a donation because you never actually get it back. Uh, But it's a loan. And so they come, they know that you have money, and so they come to you. And you know that if you say no to them, that they're going to be angry They might withhold love or uh, maybe grandkids or something like that. They might withhold something from you. And you know that they're going to be trash-talking you to other family members. And you can hear it. You can hear the phone conversations. You can see the texts. Yeah, I went to so-and-so. All I needed was 100 bucks for some tuition so that I could actually get, get into school and get a really good job so that I could make money. They just put in that brand new kitchen cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, that sure sparkles, but they couldn't spare me a hundred bucks. Come on. You can hear it, right? So because of that, you are reticent. You're nervous about what your no will cost you. And that's fair. But let me ask you, how's it going for you in the current arrangement? Do you like knowing that your relationship hangs on you always surrendering to their desires? Because let me tell you something. That's how hostages feel. That's how slaves feel. Is that really a balanced relationship between adults? 
Or are you assisting them in remaining immature children and dragging out their adolescence until someone who loves them less than you will have finally had enough? Is your helping helping? Because these fears, these feelings, they're common to all of us. But if these fears are actually holding us back from doing what God is asking us to do, it denotes an immaturity that he actually wants us to grow out of. 1 John 4.18 says that there is no fear in love. Perfect love, ah, it actually casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if we're afraid of pursuing a healthy balance in a relationship due to fear, then this is actually one of those things that we need to own. That's in our yard. We need to take ownership of that, and we need to deal with that. That's a fear. We need to take ownership for what is ours, our resources, our motivations, our own baggage that keeps us from doing the right thing. We need to face our fears that keep us from setting healthy boundaries. And this is going to take, it's going to take time with Jesus. It's probably going to take some inner healing, some personal ministry, seeking wise counsel, and a loving group of people around you to support you as you do the hard but right thing. I want to sell around you, supporting you. So, now it's actually time to address the problem behavior and communicate what you will do if it doesn't change. What you will do if it doesn't change. Violet finally needed to say to Johnny, sometimes you're too rough and I get hurt. Can you please try to be gentler? If this doesn't happen, I'm going to need to play with someone else. So first things first, be loving. Only confront in love. Having spent significant time in prayer, seeking wise counsel, and then... When you have the conversation, you do so with a gentle, kind tone. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There, there's no out clause for the fruit of the Spirit where now you're having a confrontation and there's new rules. The fruit of the, the, fruit of the Spirit still applies. All right, so be guided by that. Next, you need to be clear and firm. If you're hoping that they'll stop yelling with you, don't say, I don't like it when you're upset with me. Them being upset is not your business. Get out of their yard. They are allowed to be upset with you. But them yelling at you, that's behavior that is impacting you, okay? So then what you would rather say is, I don't like it when you yell at me. I feel insecure and small and stupid. That's a fair thing to say. And then you must communicate the consequences of your behavior if their behavior doesn't change. To withhold that from them is unfair. So you communicate what you will do if the behavior continues so that when they come back for your pots and your pans and your chairs and you behave differently than you ever have before, they actually have heard that that was coming. And then you have to follow through. You actually have to do it. If you do not live out the consequence that you've committed to, you will lose their respect and either end up giving up on boundaries because they don't work after one conversation, or you'll turn into a nag. So you'll keep talking and talking and talking about how this needs to change, needs to change, needs to change, 
but because there's no consequence, it doesn't. And so it's yik, 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 yik. And then you are just a nag, and they have every right to establish a boundary with you to deal with your nagging. Don't do it. <laughs> All right, as we wrap up, I want to share with you about a couple that, that I've worked with over many years where uh, the husband, there was a lot of historical issues within the marriage. Uh, the husband had been very selfish in the early years, and so there was a lot of hurt that had sort of accumulated for the wife. And consequently, the wife just became more and more upset, more and more angry. And the husband himself was more passive in personality, uh, and the wife was more dominant in personality. Neither good nor bad just is. But they both also had significant need for inner healing and lacked maturity, and so that just amplified the downsides of both of their personalities. So out of guilt for who he had been in their marriage, in the earlier years, the passive husband would just give in to his wife's wishes. Give in, give in, give in. And if he said no, she would get angry, and uh, he would eventually find himself just giving in to her request anyways, and end up apologizing for being such a jerk about it. <laughs> so things digressed to a place where now she was training him how to treat her. Give me what I want, and I'll be nice to you. And he was training her how to treat him. If you want something from me, what you really need to do is just get really mad and I'll totally give it to you. So here's the thing. Their love was dying. Their marriage was on the rocks. And when they came for help, the wife now looked like the bad guy with all the issues because she was so angry and aggressive. But the husband, in his guilt from closing the door to her emotionally so many years earlier, had now willingly thrown the door wide open and let her walk into his proverbial house and take much of what actually belonged to him. Earlier in their marriage, she had needed to set some boundaries with him, and now he actually needed to set some boundaries with her. And eventually he did. He said that if she yelled at him, he would leave the room. And he followed through. He said that he would limit how much he would talk to her when he was at work, and he followed through. He said that he would be honest with her regardless of her emotional response, and he followed through. And when he first presented those boundaries, when they were first spoken, she was mad. Mad, mad, mad. But eventually, as he followed through on the consequences that he communicated still stayed emotionally engaged and loved her and prayed like crazy for himself, for his wife, and his marriage, he began to see changes in all three. He took ownership of his stuff, and she was actually freed to see what her stuff was and then was motivated to address her own issues as well. And in the end, she ended up actually respecting him for that, getting more of what she needed out of the marriage and remembered what she had really wanted from him all along instead of simply getting her own way in all the little nitpicky things. And the husband, the husband fell more in love with the woman that he married. And our relationship has been completely transformed. So when I talk to you about boundaries, I'm not talking you out of some sort of social isolation, pastor aloof from afar kind of guy. I'm telling you because 
we've lived this, and it works. This is the point of boundaries. This is the purpose. Healthy boundaries make room for freedom and love. They grant permission for adults to act like adults, each one taking responsibility for their own treasures. In short, healthy boundaries free you to be responsible for you and others to be responsible for themselves. They allow you to choose Jesus to be the functional Lord of your resources, and they get you out of Jesus' way to meet the needs of the other party. This is freedom. So here's your weekly challenge. Take these questions into your devotions this week. First of all, where in my relationships have I been infringing on someone else's property? Repent and stop it. (laughs) You should probably apologize. (laughs) And secondly, where in my relationships do I feel no but say yes? And then in those relationships, repent, ask for his forgiveness where you've been harboring resentment. Ask how you should be taking ownership of the situation with your resources, your motivations. Ask what fears have been holding you back from doing it sooner. Figure out what boundary should be implemented in that relationship and how to do that in love and seek godly counsel for confirmation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for relationships. Thank you that you have given us relationships as a place where we can actually practice character. The things that you've been teaching us within our devotions, our time alone with you, the things that you've been teaching us as we come to church. Thank you that you've given us relationships as the place where we can actually practice and rehearse those things. God, give us wisdom. Help us to gain discernment that we might be able to walk in tricky relational waters and know when to say yes and when to say no. God, you know us. You know each and every one. You know exactly how we're made. And so you can help us do this, your spirit alive in us and together in community. And I thank you that as you do, you will further release us from being stuck in relational stagnation to a place where we can freely move forward as a collective whole in great unity and a oneness of heart and mind to accomplish that which you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.